Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. Well, welcome back. This is part two of my interview with Lou. Lou, in this chapter, we're going to be talking about your career with your agency, and we're going to be talking about this other project, which I'm going to let you disclose, That's that we're sitting in. So let's go. Awesome. So I think one of the one of the things um, that that I didn't really honestly know about going into working in design was that pretty much everybody moonlights. <laughs> you know, they may take a small job here and there for a little extra scratch, or they they do different parts maybe of their job that they don't get to do at their job. Um, when I was, uh, like going back in the time machine, I was coming out of a photo shoot, um, that we were doing, it was like entrepreneurs in Seattle and I was helping someone take some stuff out to their car. And I remember like she popped the back of the trunk and there was a bunch of hockey jerseys in the back. And I was like, what's this, you know, what's this for? And she's like, oh yeah, like I, I'm, uh, I coordinate this thing called the, Raw McDonald, um, uh, Raw McDonald House Microsoft Hockey Challenge, and it was a, it was a celebrity hockey game every year, to raise money for Raw McDonald House, and um, I was like, wow, this is great. And I actually, so then I remember like that year. It's usually in February, so I remember I I went, and that so that year that I went, Wayne Gretzky was a celebrity coach so he so i'm and you know still hockey is not big at this moment we have no nhl team we have the thunderbirds um so i'm sitting like two rows up from the bench and there's wayne gretzky coaching you know and this is before i've been playing right so little like wayne gretzky on tv wayne gretzky three feet away (laughs) coaching at the celebrity game um and uh so I reached out to this contact that the, the woman had given me that we had photographed for Seattle magazine. And before you know it, um, I'm doing pro bono <laughs> design work for Ronald McDonald house. And it was, it was cool because I was, um, I was born in, in, in Seattle. Um, and when I was born, I, I spent quite a bit of time at, uh, children's. Oh, okay. And, um, and I was at Children's before there was Ronald McDonald House. And um, f- for people who don't know what Ronald McDonald House is, essentially, like, if you are a parent with a kid who has serious illness, um, long, long-term illness, or is needing care at Children's or Fred Hutch, and um, live within a certain area or outside of a certain area of Seattle, you can come and stay at Ronald McDonald house for a low fee while your children are getting care. Mm-hmm. Um, they provide room. Um, there's resources. There's like a temporary office for parents so they can be close to their kid while they're getting care. Um, and often that care is a long time. Kids who have cancer or so on and so forth. So, um, 
it was it was kind of like this universe connection of finding a way for me to get back to um with with the skills that I design skills and marketing skills to help Raw McDonald House raise money. Um most of what I did was um create storytelling and and work. I got to bring in my collaborators on my network. Um and through through that work, um I got work. <laughs> like if you if you if you do good work out of the spirit of giving back then the universe sort of reciprocates over over time. Um, I met a lot of people. I was I was on the board of Royal McDonald House. Um, you know, a lot of people know Royal McDonald House. They drive through, get McDonald's, and there's a little bin they can put money in, but they don't really know exactly what it is. When you actually see what it is and you see the impact of what they're doing, it's 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 pretty powerful. And McDonald's as a company doesn't actually. I mean, they support it, but the real support is people. Mm-hmm. making donations so um i went on to do work with raw mcdonald house for you know 16 plus years and um it be raw mcdonald house kind of became kind of the anchor of i guess the way i saw running my own work with my own clients which was um you know you, you want to work with someone who's giving back as like a core principle and it was something i learned at in high school and it was something i definitely learned you know gonzaga it's part of the jesuit mm-hmm. education you know and i think sometimes i think people can't quite figure oh like my job i'm not sure what i can do that i you know but there's always something that some organization needs and i always tell students now like when i go back and do like workshops or teach like if you you can find an organization that you care about or believe in their purpose. There's a way to give back, you know, what you've been able to give. And, um, you know, for me though, it was perfect. It was Royal McDonald house. So the, the reason it became a big part of, of Maxon house <laughs> and, and my studio is that I think a lot of the work that I got as a result of Raw McDonald House was the a lot of the kind of work that I wasn't necessarily doing at the other places I, I worked at. And um and as this like uh side benefit is because I did work for Raw McDonald House in support of this specific event and others, is I I I've played in like fifteen or sixteen um Royal McDonald House celebrity hockey games. So I've gotten to play with even more players that I had, you know, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Pat LaFontaine from the Islanders that I used to watch, you know, growing up as a kid. Um, and so it's that thing where your, your personal passion and your work kind of meet for a greater purpose. So it's been great. And I, I, when I send out my portfolio, when I'm working with clients or new, when I'm introducing, getting introduced or introducing myself to new clients in my portfolio, the the second to last page in my portfolio is a story that the Ronald McDonald House wrote about the work that I've done with them. You know, and I and I I guess for me it's sort of like a Harry Potter sorting hat. If they don't want to work with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> then I don't really want to work with them. You know, because it's it. I want to work with brands that have that same spirit of of giving back um and 
um, when we moved, when we moved out, out of Seattle and, and out, out to Carnation, um, it was a little bit of a further drive to, to get to Raw McDonald house. So I was looking for a new, I was looking for kind of a new, um, or an additional outlet to always have that giving part. So I, um, in incarnation, you know, the town is named after the carnation brand, the milk brand, the dairy brand. And there's the huge research facility that was here originally before carnation brand got acquired by Nestle. But, um, there was a organization, um, there that was a camp camp Corey for kids, um, kids who were sick, or had issues similar to kids that were at Royal McDonald house where they could come and have a summer camp experience. Um, there's medical, there were medical facilities at, at the, at the campus of Carnation farms. Um, and when we, when slightly after we moved here and we're, and we're underway with our project that we're going to talk about, um, I got to meet folks at camp Corey and was going to do work with them, which was a great natural extension from Ronald McDonald house, like telling stories, supporting, supporting families and kids, um, to give them a great experience. Well, they ended up moving to up to like Mount Vernon because camp or carnation farms is super hilly and a lot of kids are in wheelchairs. It's not a great, it's not like, that's the last thing you want to have. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, um, but it led to kind of a community connection. And I ended up, um, at the time there's like this weird sort of like connections of sort of like you, you make a decision and the decision that you make then connects you to something else. Like we've been talking about. So Carnation was the city of Carnation was kind of going through a transition and they, put together a committee to help of, of experts in the business community to help kind of um, re-examine what it was about Carnation that was great and, and attracting more people, thus attracting more visitors, dollars, tax dollars. So someone I had met um, in town was like, hey, you know, you should do it. And we just moved here. We we're renting a house. And so I volunteered and, um, you know, suddenly it's like a non It's a, again, like, probably not the smartest strategic way to start your company. Like, so I'm going from pro bono to another free volunteer thing. <laughs> but if I think about it, it's perfect, right? Because when I started this whole journey, like I didn't make money doing my zine or, I mean, you know, now and then we got a little, we got a check from tower records for like $10 or $15 or something, but it was never, it was, it was always, uh, jump in and do the work and then figure it out, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, so I met a lot of people in Carnation being on this board and help write their positioning statement, um, to create Carnation as a destination brand. And through the people that were on the board, um, or on this committee, you know, I got connected in town and just got to meet a lot of people, people who ran the toll historical society. Um, and, learned a lot about the town that I, like, I didn't, I didn't even know, like I knew about Carnation. Um, it wasn't a place, it was a place that you kind of pass through, mm -hmm. but it wasn't a place that you would necessarily stop at. And, um, you know, I, it helped me. I, I eventually the, when the Camp Corey left, 
uh, it reintroduced me to the actual family behind Carnation Farms and Carnation and the Carnation brand. Like I met the family and that became like my, one of my first real clients of, of the agency. So they were looking to, they were looking for a way to create kind of a sustainable, um, uh, like programming education about food, where your food comes from, farming, so on and so forth, as a new foundation. The family kind of came back. Camp Corey moved out. They were doing develop uh, upgrades to the campus. Um, they needed a flagship kind of experience for people to come to, and so we actually took one of the old um, ho- housing bays for the workers that worked at the farm way back and created a farm stand like a working farm stand that was sort of like, it's almost like a living um, museum, but museum, like a look back into what Carnation the brand was, but also a look forward into like what the, what the farm's purpose was and how you could actually activate that. So I, I met a few people through, through town and suddenly I was, I worked with the family and the folks there for a few years and got that up and running, um, started kids camps. Um, my, my kids worked there during the summer. Um, I got, I got access to archives and through, through archives, I got to kind of through the archives and sort of the story of the farm. I learned, I learned a lot more about the story of Carnation about, the name of Tolts and then Carnation and back to Tolt. I learned about how the railroad came <laughs> to Carnation because um, uh, there were connections with the family and being informed that a railroad was coming and they were trying to figure out where to site the farm so that it could take advantage of the railroad. You know, we had great resources here in terms of timber um, and obviously the dairy. And the town itself that we didn't even know about, but, you know, we found property here. We bought the property and our plan was to build a house. We had, we, we knew about Carnation, the name, but we had no real deep dive. So I think experiences get richer when you, when you, when you know the history and then you, you meet the people behind it. And so soon, um, like the sort of story of Carnation sort of like come, come to life for me and through these connections and everything. And then, um, I, I was doing, you know, I had enough kind of, I had enough contacts and one of the, the client that I worked with that we, that, um, sold to Regents Blue Shield was starting a new thing mm. and that became another anchor client. And, um, we started a new kind of health and wellness brand and that eventually, um, was sold to Ariana Huffington's company thrive global, which was, a um, two was a multi-year engagement and then just started working kind of started more like handpicking the kind of stuff I knew I wanted to work at least to do to do like a magazine, like a magazine or some kind of media thing was always going to be in my, in my orbit. So the way I envisioned my, my day or my career was that 75%, 60 to 75% was going to be, um, ongoing work with clients. So like ongoing retainer work or relationship work, um, 25, you know, 30%, whatever, do the math, um, was going to be open to like new things. Mm -hmm. So some things, 
eventually cycle out and some things come in. And then I was going to have sort of like, that was the pie of work. But then there was like this separate, smaller dessert, which was going to be this pro bono component and um, to carry on from Ronald McDonald House. And so slow over, over time, I just kind of built it. I'm, you know, I, I, I have a magazine that I've been doing for a long time. Um, I still get to work, you know, like, I'm still going on photo shoots with Thor. <laughs> okay. You so know, Thor's and, in this chapter of your yeah, life too. Yeah, okay. Thor, okay. Thor makes it to, 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 to chapter two. Okay. Um, and, and others, you know, I get to work with a lot of illustrators that I've worked with over the years. I'm, I'm doing a lot more film. I, um, it's a funny, it's a funny story, but so when I was at Brooks, uh, we had just switched photographers for the catalogs and, um, I had hired this new photographer and, um, his rep hired this, uh, was going to hire a production company to kind of do this thing. So we were going down to Palm Springs for the shoot. So I'm sitting in my office at Brooks. This is before starting my own thing. And, um, Sky walks in and, um, to my office and my office at Brooks, I mean, it's probably the size of where we are right now, but just one, one story, not two stories. Mm-hmm. And it's just littered with stuff everywhere on the walls, like downstairs, (laughs) just running stuff, running inspiration for brand. Um, I had the big blueprint of like the design for the house up there because that's where we were, you know, in -hmm. that phase. And there was just like, it was like wall to wall inspiration. The only thing that wasn't covered was the door because it was like, probably they, someone needed to see that someone was in there anyway. So this guy comes in and, uh, uh, his name is Craig, uh, Craig Brooks. And, um, so the, so the, the rep had hired Craig, he was working at a, a, another company. And basically the way I understand it, maybe, um, is that, uh, he, start, he basically started the company on this job. So, uh, he started a company called content partners with a K, uh, for, for this job. So he, he left where he was at and he started his own company. So this was like, you know, a long time ago. Um, and then we're down in Palm Springs and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of these shoots, like you're, you're running some, some you're permitting locations, some you're not, it's a little bit, it's a little, some super organized Alexis, some super not organized like a zine. So we're like on the corner we want to get the shot and we're kind of like in front of this person's house. But so we're like getting ready for the shot. And this lady runs out and she's like, what are you doing? And, um, she's like, are you, you know, this is like my house. I don't know if you can shoot here. And like without a pause, um, I'm standing there with Craig, Craig walks out. He's like, Hey, like, I'm Craig Brooks of Brooks Sports. <laughs> and, and then like she brings out like lemonade or cookies, right? Oh. <laughs> and um, so uh, fast forward back to, to where we were, but um, I, met, I met Craig at, at, uh, at Brooks and then we've been working together like ever, ever since. Like we've traveled around, we've traveled around the world you know we've we've been in um we have shot stuff for bmw we i mean we he started his company with this project that i didn't even know him and then over time 
like he's pretty much worked with me on every major thing that um we've worked on together uh, we have a like mutual love of design mutual love of architecture mutual love of cars um and uh we were um i, w- I was working with um Zulily in seattle and um they needed a tv commercial by thanksgiving so this is 2019 um and uh it was like june or it was june of i think it was like june of 2019 and um i had this big trip planned with my wife we were going to take the train from take the empire builder which was the original great northern from seattle to chicago spend a few days in chicago and then and then um I think we we flew back. Um, And so I started, um, they're like, we need this TV commercial by Thanksgiving, promoting all these things for Zulily. Um, I was like, okay, great. I'm I'm going on this trip that I have planned. So we get on the train, we go to Chicago and we're in, we're in, um, we're in uh, the Chicago Art Institute. We go down to the basement. In the basement, they have this thing called, it's like a Thorn Miniatures. It's like this lady from Chicago who had um, a lot of money, and she commissioned this whole, all these little rooms that were miniatures. Okay. And, um, and so we walk in, and right as you enter, there's this plaque. And it's wet and there's it's Wes Anderson. <laughs> and you know, like Craig and I, uh, Craig wasn't with me on the trip, but you know, Craig and I like huge fans of Wes Anderson, watched all the movies, everything. So like here's this little bit from Wes about his love of miniatures, you know. And um, so I check out all these things and and on the and that was like it. Like I got this idea at that moment. I was like, hey, we should shoot we should do this campaign um, because it's literally like all these products from all these brands and you have to get permission to use the brands if you use the actual product in the commercial, right? And we didn't have a lot of time. Like it takes a lot of time to go through legal and everything. So I was like, what if we built this world, this this miniature world with products that represented categories like a fire truck, but it wasn't like a Tonka fire truck. It was just a fire truck. the concept of a fire, you know, and what if we, and, and the, the experience itself for like the user is it's all on your phone or your computer. There's, there's no like zoo Lily store to go to, like you can't go down and drive down and, you know, so I said, what if we build this whole world? And, you know, I saw this thing with Wes Anderson and these miniatures, like my, my, my head's like on fire. So I get back and I go in and, meet with the CEO, the then the CEO. And um, I remember going in there and I had some like reference images from Wes Anderson movies. And I'm feeling like I'm on fire. Like this idea is like, you can, nobody's going to kill this. And I remember him like, after I got through like the first part, he's like, who's Wes Anderson? <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> this, me- this is going to go one of two ways. <laughs> <laughs> And it didn't look like the right way, but again, it was kind of, um, it was, it was like, okay, well, I kind of had to like reframe it for him. He's like, well, look, here's like, here's the deal. Like we have X amount of money and we have this amount of time. So as long as you get this thing done by, as long as this thing is on by Thanksgiving, 
you know, I'm just, you know, run with it. So, um, here's like this, like worlds colliding thing again. So I call up the producer from content partners, um, who works with Craig and I'm like, Zululi's down at the water down by the sculpture park. So I get in my car, drive up to Capitol Hill to content partners. And I, and I kind of like, I pitched them the same presentation I gave the CEO. I'm like, what do you guys think? Like, they're like, Oh, of course it excited. Cause it's, you know, like Wes Anderson, this Wes Anderson, and just <laughs> as reference, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, like these reference images of these movies, you know, and I mean, um, Wes Anderson builds imaginary worlds, right? Whether they're miniature stop motion or they're live action, but they're, every last detail is considered and everybody knows sort of the role like like a sports team but for movies and there's a culture of being on the set in a wes anderson film like there's a culture of being in a locker room you know a sport so it's like uh everything's so there i'm like you know do you think we could do this like do you think we could pull this together? And I'm thinking, oh, we're going to shoot it in Seattle. Well, maybe we'll go to Portland because there's Leica Studios that did like Coraline. And um, so they they were researching it and they came back and they said, well, we looked at your still, we looked at your reference polls, like a mood board of kind of how, how you wanted to look. And you try to make it really real for the client. Like I'm pulling things that are kind of in the same color palette as the Zulily brand and showing them some... Like you're doing kind of like you realize, oh, like I'm getting paid to watch Wes Anderson movies now and pull reference (laughs) enough to create a connection to get someone else to take a leap to do this thing. So they said, I remember they called me back and um, they're like, well, actually, like we have this producer um, and she worked on the stop motion film and through some contacts and yada, yada, yada. why don't we just work with a guy who's did a stop motion for Wes Anderson okay. on, 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 um, fantastic Mr. Fox, which is a raw doll right. uh, adapt- adaptation and Isle of dogs. I was like, okay, so now we're going from like, I've been on the train. I see the miniatures in Chicago. I see the Wes Anderson thing. I, I, I'm like sitting in the living room of my house on my couch at like two o'clock in the morning, building this like world in my head and mm-hmm. then going to pitch it to now, uh, Craig and I are on, you know, a British airways headed to London to go work with the, like a, a huge part of the crew that worked on these movies from the reference that what, in fact, one of the polls the images pulled was a behind the scenes still of this, of the guy. I don't know if you, have you seen Isle of Dogs? Isle of Dogs. It's the stop motion. I have. Um, so basically there's a scene where um, they're preparing us. Uh, um, they're preparing uh, sushi. And then there's a, a poisonous like wasabi bean that gets put in to mm-hmm. poison this person. That's anyway, and so it's all it's all like stop motion. So the guy that's holding the thing, like that's the guy that we that we're working with. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So okay. we're so so Craig and I like have gone from, from like Palm Springs to like London, and and we're and you're just sort of like it's like the Wayne Gretzky thing. Like you you manifest this vision, and then suddenly like 
you're you're in you're in the room you're you're on the shoot with the wu-tang clang and you've never like been on a shoot and you just kind of have to you know you're you're in there like talking chop with lou Pinella, and um it was just like one of those magical magical moments we were there in london for like two weeks and then um flew back and then um went went back to to, to watch it finish and I, I remember um standing up in front of the entire company at Zulily debuting this thing and i don't think you know like this was like um every house on the block looks the same and then there's like this house that looks wild. like that's mm-hmm. what it felt like i was speaking a different language and you know I remember after showing the work, um, people that I had never spoken to me at that company came up to me. It's like, this is like the first time because it's so tactical. It's miniatures. It's, it's very cinematic, but it's also very tactile and it's imperfect. Like Mm -hmm. it's not perfect. Like, like we talked about, like a photo is here. Like, you know what a tree looks like, but creating this world, extracting the values of the brand and then communicating it through something that's first inspired and entertaining, then inspiring. And then makes you want to, and, um, you know, it's just been like, it's been like, a one after the other. I mean, we did that and then like, you want to do it again. It's like the Gretzky thing. Like, ah, I'd play, I want to go do it again, but I'm going (laughs) to play better. So it's just a, it's a series of, of things. And I think, um, now, um, and I, I think we can, we're going to hit the, yeah. the, the train, right? We're going to hit the train. Okay. Well, yeah, well, better than the train hitting us. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or you can cut that and I can. <laughs> no, no, let's just, so, but what, what I do want to ask about one of your other clients. That I, I watched a video of because I was intrigued. Um, I don't know if they're still a client, but you were doing work with BMW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you? Are they still an active client at this time? Uh, I'm. I'm going to be potentially working okay. with a different part, like more at the at the local level. Okay. Um, but um, we can we can. So you, I watched this video commercial that you did. I don't. Know, I saw on you know I saw it on YouTube or. <laughs> and that's my Mickey Mouse watch. Um, and you guys are driving an, an electric BMW, or I don't know if it was you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Driving the electric. So here's the, this is totally nothing to do with the work. But you were hauling, or the car was hauling some cardboard lanterns. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Are those, so where was that filmed at? So it's funny because <laughs> that, um, so that was a, that was another, that was a content partners collaboration. So, um, what was interesting is we had this idea at Lexus, um, years before about, um, like the group that I worked with, there were, there's kind of two groups. There's the advertising group that does sort of like the sexy car mm-hmm. reveals with the helicopters shooting the cars. And the, we were like, again, so again, I think we were like, that's like major league baseball. And then we were like double a okay. <laughs> baseball. Like we're doing kind of like, we're hanging outside of a minivan with a camera, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're sort of MacGyvering things. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, 
most people who see this stuff have no clue what it takes to either get it done or how it how it gets done so the assessment of whether it's good or not is subjective it's really like did it connect with them did it make them feel anything do they care about it you know and so having done a lot of that you know stuff uh sort of in a in a lo-fi type of way um we had this idea of taking and, and I think some of this came from Brooks and and from Dave Larson, who was who was my boss there, because he he would like preach about um, taking kind of a detail from something and combining it with like a feature from something completely different to to make the point. And so um, for the BMW thing, the idea was uh, let's tell a story of this little electric car that's made from sustainable materials, recycled materials, so on and so forth. We were shooting it here. Um, cause that's where we could get a car, okay. you know, through the dealer. Right. And, um, the car at that point, I think it was the orange, uh, BMW i3 and it was a production car. So it wasn't quite out yet and it didn't really work. Like it, <laughs> it could only, it could only like, it was a prototype. So it could only it wasn't like you couldn't go buy it yet. So it only, the range was very limited. Right. Right. And so you had to kind of plan your shoot around, around that. But, um, I think it was content partners had a relationship or knew someone at gray, gray pants. Who's the, and they make recycle, they make like furniture and lighting out of scrap cardboard, recycled cardboard. So the idea was let's instead of being like here's under the hood of the i3 and here's the recycled you know hemp material that makes up the shell and blah 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 like let's tell the features of the car through a story about this local group gray pants so the 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 storyline was like we start at gray pants and we we get to this story of craft and passion about design and materials and sustainability we're at their shop, which is in uh, kind of near like past Starbucks headquarters. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, like super cool spot. And they have these scrap lights that are made from recycled cardboard. And they sort of make this thing. And then they get in the I-3 and they drive really like to the in through Seattle to a ferry. And then they they get... Um, on the ferry and then they, they there was some drone stuff to kind of get those overhead shots and where they end up is actually at um this it's like a garage but it's kind of like a, a space designed by um them i think okay um and it's and they're kind of installing right. the piece and then night comes and then it illuminates mm-hmm. this so it kind of goes end to end and um and it became like this kind of anthem spot, which was not the regular like flashy car spot. And, um, you know, I think we've been, you know, uh, Craig and I and, and content have been telling stories like that for a long time there. It was weird. It's like sort of like when I bridged from like magazines and media to brand and advertising it was when like storytelling became popular well storytelling is something i feel like i've been doing you know it's like it's something like you're doing from the time you're a kid like mom asks you did you take the cookie you invent <laughs> you're like a you story. invent the story right <laughs> and and stories obviously go back to the beginning 
of time, right? Like we did this, we did this spot for this company um, that does like um, smart screens for schools, tech screens. And the spot is like an animated spot. And it starts with this guy at the cave wall and there's a, he's got a group around him and he's like, he's like explaining something at the wall and it, the spot transforms from the cave to like the stars to like the classroom, to like the lab, to like the workplace, you know? And I think it's um, the hardest thing for brands to do is to get out of the way. Like to to be confident enough in the thing, the thing they're selling or the service they're selling to remember that like they're also in the job of like you have to, you can't bore people to death. You have to, you have to give them something different than they can get from somewhere else. And then you're, then it's, it's a value. Um, and it's worth tuning into. And I think it's and like when we were downstairs and I was showing you some of the, the work from, from the original Max and advertising back in the day, I mean, like, that's what they were, they were, do, they were doing that like in the forties. Um, and so, it's kind of. Um, I'm gonna interrupt you. Oh yeah, Maxim Advertising in the '40s was your great grandfather. Okay. Yeah, 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 great. Which I, um, over time, have have learned a lot more about, <laughs> um, just through just through through family and eBay. So, so maybe <laughs> through eBay, <laughs> family archives supplemented by eBay. But the thing is, is that maybe maybe this whole industry was you were genetically <laughs> predisposed to it i mean inter, you know interestingly okay yeah. so i just hijacked your thread i apologize no no but i want to talk about what we're sitting in or yeah. do you want to talk about the other structure first i'll, I'll go to the other structure because i think okay it'll 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 feed in so um so, um, which is a, a good like reverse tie-in to to um, the, the 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 legacy a little bit. I think sometimes maybe there's pressure if you grow if you grow up in a in a family business, maybe mm. where there's pressure to like join the business, right? right? But right. I think for me, um, I didn't really know about any of that to be honest. Like until I was probably like. 10 or 11 or 12 or 13. I, um, uh, when I, my, my dad worked in kind of the pre-production side of the business. Um, meaning, you know, the creative's already been done and, and they're getting ready to run that, the ad in the magazine. Right. Or, um, and they have to create a color separation and they're, they're, preparing the media to be published like and so um like i grew up going on press checks like it, like when i was at my dad's and you know it was like 
before we went home, like he's going to an appointment and he's sitting with a client and they're looking at like their ad and making sure the color looks good and it's, everything is lined up and there's no, you know, like if something needs to be touched out or, mm-hmm. um, so I had no clue what any of that meant to be honest <laughs> with you, but, um, I got to go around and see and visit a lot of the agencies that I ended up actually working at. And then, um, I remember one day, um, this was back in the day, like the monitors were gigantic. They're huge. And there were guys in the basement that all they did was sit in these like black, they had like a hood over the monitor because you couldn't have ex- any outside light and you're retouching, you know, a fashion catalog or this or that. And I remember tell, like being so fascinated, right? Um, it was like seeing that architecture for the first time. I was like, wow, like this is like dad, like this is cool. And he, I remember him telling me, um, he's like, you, you know, like, um, you don't want to be down here. <laughs> like what? And, and, and these guys that were, da- that, um, everyone that was down there doing this work, like that's a craft, that's a separate craft. Like it's not just a digital craft, but it's like an eye for color and making sure things look, you know, perfect. Um, but he's like, what you want to be doing is you want to be the person that comes up, comes up with the idea that they're working on, that Mm -hmm. they're, you know, tweaking and preparing. And, um, I learned from seeing all the ads and the work from the family agency, um, that, like that's what I was excited about. My uncle would bring me copies of communication arts, which is like this huge, um, it was like a book of a magazine with all the best every year. They had one issue that had all the best advertising. They had all the best design and they had all the best illustration. And I remember like pouring through these things, like a kid would pour through mad magazine. Right. But, and then trying to like draw the ads, like recreate the ads. And I remember mm-hmm. at Gonzaga going to like the Hastings or tower and, and, and teaching myself how to basically recreate what I was seeing in like wired magazine as a way to teach myself. So it was like this progression to this point. Um, and where it transitions to the other thing we want to talk about is that, um, my um, great grandfather had there was a place in upstate Michigan called in Onaway, Michigan, and they had like a 200 acre um, piece of land and they had a compound for um, agency executives and clients to come um, to come up from Detroit, mm-hmm. like on the weekend, relax, be in nature, um, really beautiful setting uh, near uh, Black Lake. Uh, I've never actually been there, but it's on, it's on my list to, to go. And, um, it's actually on Max and road. <laughs> okay. And okay. So there may be a sign disappearing in the near future, <laughs> but you didn't hear from me, but I we'll, think we'll edit that part. Not just kidding. When, when I, when I saw, um, when I saw pictures of this place and I have, I have these books uh, of it that my, that I've gotten over the years, I realized like, wow, like, you know, we're in the kind of, we're in the like noise and mess every day, you know, whether you're like watching TV or you're listening to, to things or seeing things. And the business is so much about, um, and especially now with AI, right? Because people are putting in prompts and everybody's getting the, the same result, right? 
and 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 the business that we're in really it's um it's um why fit in when you can stand out really <laughs> business it's not if everybody looks the same photographically or illustratively or um logo like how do we know what to buy how do we know what what to do how do we know what to choose and i think being away from that center like when we moved and we bought land out in carnation um you know we've never lived, never lived in like the country before but i could see looking and doing research about this compound this this res it was almost like a resort um that you need to go out and do other things in order to bring something back to the work and mm -hmm. um so when we when we were uh, we were living in, we lived in Seattle. We lived in Ballard and we lived in Queen Anne and, um, lived in Madrona and, um, kind of experienced Seattle. We moved out to Snoqualmie and, um, house on the corner, white picket fence development, really a perfect spot at an early time to raise kids. You have built in neighbors and so, but then, um, you know, kids get older, activities spread out. <laughs> you're, you know, you're not, uh, the, the benefits of it aren't exactly the same as when, so we, we found, uh, land incarnation and, um, it's a little, little over 21 acres. And that dream sort of, of realizing this space of privacy, but also connection to nature and a place where, uh, you know, family and friends can come and to experience kind of a different way of living in a house. Um, we decided that we were going to commission this house like this. And it wasn't necessarily inspired by like, um, you know, the Maxon cabin, um, which is what we call, which we call it. But I think there were, there were parts of it that were like, wow, what if we had this space where, you know, literally the vision was that I could work, like my commute would be here, like in nature. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm still traveling. I'm still, you know, going to meetings and traveling to New York or Los Angeles or London, but, um, but lessening the time. And this is before COVID lessening the time of going, of driving to somewhere to work to like already being there. So, um, Christmas, 2007 i get this book it's uh called tom kundig houses it's the first book in a series of books uh, a series in which our house ends up being in one of them and uh we commissioned we worked closely and we commissioned olsen kundig to design our house and what did you call the book earlier Oh, uh, Tom Kundig houses. Wasn't it the most expensive book? Oh, yeah, ever? yeah, yeah, yeah. So we call that book the most expensive book we've ever. It's like getting it's like getting the um, the college sweatshirt. It's like the sweatshirt was expensive. The education was free, right? But uh, no, it was like, and I think it was. I got the book. My wife and I were looking through it. You know, we kind of had different ideas about what we wanted about what we thought we wanted. Um, you know, we'd never lived in a house uh, that was like, like a house that was 
where you're you're not you're not just living on the inside but you're living connected to the outside most houses like limited windows and you're so when you're in the house you're in the house Mm -hmm. you know you're not um and uh so we got the book and i i remember even before looking at the pictures because it's honest like aside from the fact that that we ended up hiring them to design our house like the book was like one of the best architecture books that i had seen because it wasn't just pictures it was sketches and process and stories it was sort of like dissecting a project and i think it's like on the before you get in, into the forward the, the the quote at the beginning is um only common things happen when um common sense prevails <laughs> okay. and, I, and i think it's and I, there is unknown who the who the um attribution is but i remember looking at that and going I think this is it, you know, because it's sort of like the going left, going right and, um, and doing a project like this, it's not like you're picking something out of a catalog and saying, make me this. It's, it's like, here's some things, some values or some moments or experience. It's like building a building or creating a house that's based on experience, not on, not stylistically like these are the things I want to do here the, these are the experiences I want to have with my family and as part of that um uh I had worked in my previous house we had an office inside the house and um I knew with this project because we were going to go right instead of going left we had gone left before we had lived in mm-hmm. in suburbia in, if you will. in suburbia yeah and um so my brief in to Tom and and the team was I just I want to have my office detached from my house (laughs) and 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 there's a great story in the book or there's a great story I think he tells about the 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 project that's on the front of the book is called Chicken Point and it's in Idaho and it's on the lake it's I think on it's on the lake I don't know if it's Hayden Lake. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember. I think it is, but I remember him saying like the client said, literally, like, wouldn't it be great if we could open up the wall, like the window to the, the view. And, um, like those are the questions, right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It didn't even come from him. It came, it came from the client. So it's like, wouldn't it be great if my office wasn't in the house? Would, wouldn't it be great if it was just detached from, from, the, from the house, like an outbuilding, you know? Um, mm. And uh, he took that nugget from another client and they created this kinetic moving uh, glass wall. Um, And it completely not only transformed that space and we got to go visit that project, but it also uh, gave, it also was transformative, you know, for for the work and for architecture. Because even though a very forward-looking profession a lot of people wait till someone else makes the big move before it's okay. It's like, okay, the water's cool enough. You can now step in without getting, you know what I mean? And I think it's the same thing here. So seeking out someone who put, who chose that quote about only common things happen when common sense prevails, seeing that work, the show and the tell, and I guess the proof, it was sort of like, okay, like this is someone who you a want to go on an adventure with and B is comfortable with risk. And so you have a risk taking, uh, client, me or my wife and I, 
Um, although she more hesitant than me, <laughs> me, <laughs> ah, whatever, you know, and then, and then Tom. So, um, from 2009 to 2014, we worked out all the stuff. It's a, it's a big lot. There's a lot of, there was a lot of forestry. There's a lot of story built into the site that we wanted to preserve. And, and then, um, uh, I, once we got that kind of plan for the house, a separate meeting <clears throat> was called and I, I came in and met with Tom. I remember it was like October, it was raining like furiously and I'm sitting in his office like waiting and then I come in and and he pitched me on this idea of like what if your um what if your studio that you know uh could not only be removed from the house but could remove from the house <laughs> meaning <laughs> meaning that um we could actually envision a scenario in which you come out of the house out of the master bedroom onto um, your patio aka a platform and the studio is waiting for you there and it's nested in with the house and you walk in and then through kinetic uh sorcery you physically interact with the studio, TBD, how that happens, um, and you're able to move out into the woods and you can kind of escape. Not, it's not escaping. It's you, you, you're detaching from sort of like the, the reality and you're going into this place to, to make and be open. And um, I was like, what? <laughs> like, okay, it's, you know, the first thing you're thinking, it's weird when, like, when you're the client after having clients, because then all the things that you probably call clients crazy on, like, you're mm -hmm. the one calling. Mm -hmm. And so then I had to remember the quote in the book. And I'm like, okay. So we start, like, working it. We start, like, talking about it. And he said, well, we have this client that we've kind of figured out a lot of this for like we did we did a similar we did a we had a similar idea but it didn't really that, that one didn't really happen but um it's it's actually possible like so it's sort of like the window that moves like they were at the Bower locks and they saw things being moved with hydraulics and so they figured out that they could physically mechanically move something mm -hmm. you know and um so then i'm like oh my gosh the first thing i'm thinking is like how am i i'm so excited i was like pee my pants like how am i gonna explain this to him <laughs> when i get home <laughs> i'm glad you said that because that was gonna be my question how did you pitch this <laughs> i see the outcome yeah but how did yeah. you pitch well so after we you know so at that point the idea is basically that the, the the studio at this at this moment leaving the office in excitement is a one-story studio so the height is basically the same as the house which is one story kind of long rectangular bar and then a little kind of square or smaller rectangle that nests in mm -hmm. and um you know i'm thinking oh my that it's like to build something interesting is one thing cool and expensive to build that same thing and then to make it move 
more expensive <laughs> by a factor of yeah by, yeah. by, by who knows because yeah. nobody's really done it and then um and then like you have to build a railway and then you have to you know all the stuff right so uh went home kind of like i think i probably did more of like a slow drip of a, you know hey how was it how did it go well there's this idea and this thing and it might move and the the the, the key was the focus had to be on the house like because at that point like the house isn't done right so the priority is get the house done get the carport done get you know and then um there's this idea in my head okay the little thing eventually pays for the big thing like not literally pays for it but the work that happens in there like the the house itself is for for living and sleeping and hanging out whatever um, and, and I did work in the house for a long time while we were waiting to do this, but, um, eventually like the work that happens in this small space pays for this bigger the thing. Bigger right. So that was like my long, that was like, that was like the, the pitch long-term. There's a lot of questions. Why does it need to move? You know, why can't, you know, like I understand it the size and everything, but why can't it just be kind of like, could it be more ceremonial? Could, but couldn't you have put like those old fashioned? Because you haven't disclosed this yet, so I'm, 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 I'm tipping it. But you could have gotten one of those old railroad cars where you pumped. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. you could have moved yourself to it. Yeah, yeah. I instead could. of moving. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No. I mean, it's there's a million ways to or walk. to make <laughs> to make to it. make it easier. You know, than. Yeah, and and uh, I think you. I don't, I think you mentioned, I think on my LinkedIn, I, I've got this quote from Walt Disney and it's, um, I, something to the effect of like, I like the impossible because it's less competitive or something. And I, I think quote. the, the quote about the common sense prevails and that quote, you know, uh, meet me perfectly because it's you're it's sort of like being at that moment with the brand with the client or working on the brand at a moment where you can come in and make the most impact versus kind of coming in and and just sort of maintaining mm. like very small steps and so this was a big move and i think you know ultimately like this was a space that i was going to be creating in and so the story of of the space I was going to be working in, whether it moved or whether it didn't move, had to be, um, had to meet the mark I felt of the work that I was going to be doing in there. Right. And mm -hmm. it, that is the calling card. So, um, so on we went, you know, kind of like it was drawn into the plans. Um, we, we built a house or the house, the house was built. We, we didn't build a house. Very talented people built a house. <laughs> um, and, uh, no, no sign of the, the railway or the car for now. Um, just sort of like, uh, out there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, couple, two or three years after we moved in, settled. I mean, it takes a long, t it takes a long time to do something custom. And then you sort of like, then it was time, right? Cause I was working in the kitchen. I was working in the living room. Everybody's home. I'm working. They're having fun. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're having to move into the bedroom. You're, you know, again, all pre COVID. So 
Um, so I was like, okay, like let's start to chip away. And the only way we made the house work is we, we kind of did it like the Johnny Cash song <laughs> one piece at a time. Like we'd make a small move every day towards it. We didn't write a big check and then suddenly it appeared. We, we, we always sort of had this agreement that we weren't going to completely disrupt our daily life to do all this, um, that we, you know, you, you got to pay the bills. You got to, you know, kids can, don't stop aging. Life doesn't stop going. And so, um, what I started doing though, was I, two things I started in my travels. I started looking seriously at trains and railroading. I mean, I, I had a model railroad growing up with my dad. It was pretty cool. Like HO scale, maybe like a lot of little boys and girls have, you know, around the tree or whatever. And, um, I don't know that like that stuck with me. So when the baton sort of like got passed or the idea came into my sphere, I was like, I guess I approached it like a project, like let with any project, whether it's something like even with Lexus, to be honest, like I didn't give two. can I swear? Yeah. I, I didn't give like two shits about cars. You know, I didn't, I didn't like get my driver's license till late we lived in New York. I didn't need a car. I didn't, you know, I was not like a luxury car consumer okay. <laughs> before I worked on Lexus. And the first thing I did when I worked, when I got, when I got that job is I went to the dealership and we, and we got a car. Cause it's like, unless I'm driving, so you the probably car, shouldn't show up into that job in a Hyundai no, or, no, or, no. or, 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 <laughs> or same at Brooks. I remember I wore a Converse one day and Uh-oh. I got like this, like passive aggressive note, non-sign saying like, Oh no, someone left it on my boss's door saying, Hey, you should tell your new person. Like, cause Converse was bought by Nike. Right. So whatever, <laughs> a, li- a little PNW passive aggressive there, but, um, you know, until you're in, in the product or in the thing, like how can you empathize with the right. customer pain points? So anyway, so, um, I got super into, I mean, I, it wasn't like a hard off the cliff drop into into trains it started with model trains like i went to the um uh east side trains in kirkland like one of the oldest like model railroad shops and i started learning about like the the railroads that were here like that was like the that was like the 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 entry (laughs) drug into the like the land of trains and then and then i and then through my my work with Carnation Farms, like I had access to all this archive footage. So I started looking through that and saw that there were trains in Carnation, which blew my mind because then in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I wish I was, I wish I was like, um, going to time, like 1913, what would it be like to see mm-hmm. trains? And then I realized that the road I take every day is basically where the train came, right? And um so I learned about the two trains, the Great Northern and the Milwaukee Road. Both came through Carnation. Um, so I was like, wow. When we were excavating for the house, we found um, rail spikes and we found like wire, um, like logging wires that they would have used to bring trees up and put them on like temporary logging. And so like our site itself could have been connected to like the history of railroads. So suddenly like this thing that this thing that the architects 
you know, imagining even has more substance. And then I'm like, oh, full geek out, foamer trained <laughs> mode. <laughs> and then I had done some, I had done an ad once for the Railway Museum in Snoqualmie when we lived there. Um, you know, and obviously been on the train a million times. And then um, I start researching about the Great Northern and the Great Northern was was created by, was one of the only transcontinental railroads that was not funded by the government, right? And so I, I love that, right? Like it was just this idea that someone had this like impossible dream to bring this railroad out. Um, and the fact that that railroad branched off and came and terminated incarnation in this town that now I'm like living in. It's like all these things are colliding. So then it, like I'm, I'm into this like garden scale model railroad, which is like crack cocaine of the train <laughs> world. Like it started with like, I remember we, my wife and I went down there and we met this guy who was like their G, G scale guy. And he's like, okay, we're going to, I'm, she's like, you, I'm going to buy you get a pick out a locomotive. So they didn't have a great Northern one at that time. I got a Milwaukee road. So I was like one I had it on my shelf. I'm like, hmm, well, this is going to need like some box cars. Like seven, <laughs> like two years later, I'm at like 50 G scale. But you can stop anytime I, you want. Yeah. I guess that. <laughs> and then I would, and then I would, then I'm like, Oh, there's train shows. And then I would go and, and I'm meeting like, you know, I'm, this probably sounds really bad. So you can take it out or not. But like, I'm probably one of the only people that's like not hooked up to an oxygen tank right. at the train show. So I'm getting to the booth like 50 times faster. And suddenly like there's cars that I hadn't even seen online and G scale is already sort of like G scale is like the, it's not common. It's the biggest one and there's the least amount of inventory. Um, and then I, I started really getting into like, how are we going to build the track? They had engineered kind of a track system um, but, um, you know, we started taking like more train trips. We went on the, the empire builder to Chicago on that, on the, the trip I talked to you about for, for Zulily. We did it the other way. We took the coast starlight. I went with my son to Japan. We took the bullet train. Um, I mean, trains are a way of life in Japan, like little kids, like schools, like go to the train stops just to see that, like, it's a celebrated Mm -hmm. thing in japan it's 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 everywhere um and they're very punctual and there were like moments of like the bullet trains have engineering in them where the train can just come to a stop during an earthquake so there were like things i was learning about railroads and trains during this kind of incubation period before we got going <laughs> that all made their way in to the to this thing and um um I, you know, I just got like, it took over, honestly, like it was like this, suddenly you start, it's like when you start researching a car you want to buy and then you start seeing the car everywhere. Mm -hmm. Was that um, the reticular activation? Yeah. Some, I don't yeah, know. Some, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a term for it. So, um, 2019 fall, um, a friend of, a friend of my wife's has a um, excavation and construction company. Um, we're like, we're kind of, we're like ready to like put money in um, and, uh, and, and build and build one piece at a time. We're going to build the track. So um, 
we uh, we had to find um, rails. I, like you know, you can't just—it's not in the phone book. So I did a little a recon work, and I found a company down in Portland called Harmer Steel, and they take apart and they put in railroad track, like uh, adult railroad parts and supply company. And, um, in our, in our original drawings, there was like spec for track, but I, I didn't really know how it worked. Like I, I never bought a railroad track before and like <laughs> regular people don't buy railroad track, right? Co- companies do. So I, uh, sent away for the catalog. I got, I got the catalog and then, um, we had structural engineering for the studio and, and we had architectural plans for the studio. It was pretty, it was pretty, um, it was it was enough to get going, but it wasn't enough to finish. It was sort of like getting a puzzle, but like half of the picture is covered. Like you don't quite know what it's going to make. So that was good and bad because there were parts of it I I had gaps that I couldn't do. And the other thing was I learned a lot watching the house get built, and I knew this was going to be a kind of an unknown cost to build <laughs> to build this, but I. I, the more I researched about it, the more I wanted to be more hands-on and the crew that I worked with on parts of our house, were going to be the crew that we worked with on this. So I decided to be the, the, you were the general the, contractor, the general contractor. Yeah. Okay. Which, which, you know, like if you're building a shed in the backyard, you know, is one thing, but to pick a project, your first project to GC with like zero experience and it moves, um, what could go wrong? Only common things happen when common sense. <laughs> right. So here we are. So uh, so we build the railroad track. Uh, it has to be perfect, laser leveled, completely f- flat. I had found some. I did a lot of research. I found a lot of books. I would go down to in Ballard. There's this thing called Balmer Yard, and it's the BNSF rail yard where they lay they switch cars and they have a um, the little HQ there. And I, I started like meeting people worked for the railroad and I would ask questions. And, um, so I kind of figured out what the, what, what the lift was going to be in terms of how much ballast I needed and, um, just the composition of like a railroad, you mm-hmm. know, it's crazy. Like in Japan, the railroad ties are like, everything is beautiful. Even the railroad ties, it's not just like creosote, block, like, it's like beautiful. <laughs> wow. Like, you know, um, I knew that we probably weren't going to do it to that degree. Cause the other, the other challenge that we had is that our railroad car, the railroad car studio was, was way bigger and way wider. So a regular railroad track is a little over four and a half feet wide. Mm-hmm. Ours was going to be 15 feet wide. Right. So almost three times. Um, and so, uh, so we built, so we built the railroad track. Uh, we had rails shipped from Portland onto a semi flatbed semi truck. And then we had to hire a crane to lift the rails off to then move down our driveway. Cause you can't just have rails delivered to your house. Amazon doesn't deliver these. No, they, with apparently, and the drones, I don't know if they could. Um, <laughs> well, you have too many trees for the drone to work well here. Yeah. And then kind of like either a very um, premeditated or complete coincidence was that when I got the, the waybill for the 
for the materials on the for the rails it said you know it has the it shows the weight of the rails like the weight and, and but, but right before that there's an abbreviation and the abbreviation designates the railroad and it said gn i was like oh so i was like calling the guys i was like what is that you know and they're like oh it's the great northern <laughs> so now Th- these could have been just down well yeah, you, you know where they come from i don't yeah so they were so we ended up getting rail that was part of the great northern railroad and it was it's called there's there's you can buy new rail or you can buy relay rail and relay rail is rail that's already been run on but is still at a rating or grade as I understand it, I'm sure railroad people probably call in and yell at me um, that you can still run on. So now the story elevates. Now we're actually going to be building a railroad using rails from the same railroad, not necessarily rail that was from Carnation, but rail that the Great Northern Railroad traveled on. So I'm like, now like my mind is blown and my, and I, then I like my eBay crack habit starts because now i'm trying to like find everything great northern right this is a very expensive journey anyway so we get the rail we have the rail here for about six for probably three to six months just laying in the grass and you know i'd make these like little visits out to it just to (laughs) see it like you can't lift it it's super heavy and then we had to order um splice bars to connect the rail pieces and then we needed to figure out a way to get ties. So we worked with, um, I think it's called BMC, the building warehouse um, in Issaquah. And we got um, ties for uh, to, to take take us through 110 feet of rail. And they're dug fir, which is what we have in our forest. Right. So, And then uh, right before Thanksgiving, we had the crew out and we ran all the levels basically there's a kind of a a leveled area that's like sand and then underneath there's like three feet of ballast and then there's ballast on top of the sand and then you compose the railway and the the ballast helps drain and then the sand levels and everything support because as the train car moves over the the tracks it pushes down heavy on the rails and the and the ties called sleepers in the uk um, provide the structural support and um, like the house which is a perfect rectangle the rails have to be perfect <laughs> right so um, it's kind of funny because you've got this like really weird thing that we're doing but it has to live and exist on this completely geometrical 100 perfection anything off and the thing that you're going to put on there is your off the rails <laughs> literally so how long did it take to set the this no you, you've already disclosed this so this your track is a 110 feet long yeah so how long did it take to set that uh i mean i think they built so the build of the of the railway just the railway is about three months so we had wow. we had the leveling well, the the grade out here was already level from when we did the house, but we had to um, we had to just you have to measure everything fifty times, <laughs> make sure you know there's a because there's also a little give as things settle. Um, we got all the ties out, all the all the like ground prep was a while, and then 
um, we set all the ties first and then we craned the rails on because the, the rails are in segments. I think there's eight segments mm-hmm. and um, not all the rails literally ran um, together on the railway <laughs> when oh, they were first original run. use, yeah. So, so they're when they're sourced, the, the like two of them are same X amount of feet, the next two, but um, they weren't necessarily in the same spot. So, ones have different, like some of them are have are have a little curve or a little that has to be worked out. So, we had to kind of first figure out which ones we're going to pair, and then once we got them locked then we went we actually we drove down to portland and we got rail clips and the clips basically sit on top of the tie and then they bolt through so the bolt holds the the rail to the tie and then the splice bars connect the rail segment so we had basically kind of the once we had like a month and a half in one three and it wasn't like there wasn't like there was work here every day for (laughs) that long it was just that when when the crew could come to work on it and so like right before Thanksgiving was when it was complete, when we basically craned in the craned the rails onto the ties. And we and even then we had we didn't have the rails were lined up, but we didn't have the um splice bars in or the clips in. We just had it, we just had the structure of it. Once we had the structure of it, the next step was to take the architectural drawings, which are um which are basically um, there's the track system and then there's the, the, the studio. So the, the origin of the, um, the studio is that essentially that the caboose of the railroad, the last car, which really doesn't exist today, um, was the office of the railroad. Mm-hmm. That's where the conductor was. That's where the brakeman was. There was a desk, there was, um, a sleeping area. There were, there was a cupola and some so they could see what was coming down the line if there was trouble on the tracks maybe if they're about to get robbed <laughs> um but it it served in a, a very important purpose on the railroad that now in today's railroads they have a um i think it's 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 basically a end of railroad device it's a flashing mm-hmm. light um one would argue with all the train <laughs> derailments that maybe they should bring the caboose back. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> another story for another day. So um, so the office would not be, whereas the house is very, a long rectangular bar, the office would be sort of this tower, sort of taking inspiration of a working area downstairs and upstairs a cupola, um, and then also taking inspiration from other um, projects from the architect, um, there'd be a library upstairs. And, um, so we, we, what we needed to do is we had to create basically a shop drawing from the architecture, architecture drawings for something for a fabricator. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I guess for the audience, I think the easiest way to explain that would be like, you go to the Lego store and on the outside of the box, you see that it's a train. And then when you open up the instructions, you see all the parts. And then you see the instructions to build the parts. And that's the instructions is essentially the shop drawing. Mm-hmm. And then the the bill materials is all the individual Lego pieces. So that's kind of how it was approached. And one thing is 
we um, worked with an amazing fabrication um, group that we worked with before called Alpine Welding in Twisp, Washington. So the railroad was built in Washington. It was engineered in Washington. It was designed in Washington. I think the only thing that didn't come from Washington were the windows, uh, California, um, and the rails. But may have been one time in Washington. But um, so our fabrication team at Alpine created a um, worked with a, a guy and they created a, a shop drawing, basically the instructions to build. And then once we gave them the budget go ahead, um, they started fabricating everything. Um, it's a steel frame. It's about 24 feet tall. It's 10 by 15, two stories. <laughs> uh, we had to create, uh, it's a, it's electric. It's an electric train. So, um, no exhaust, no environmental damage, <laughs> very low, very minimal. So is this like M scale then? <laughs> this is, we call this whoa scale. <laughs> whoa scale. Whoa scale. scale. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is like, <laughs> I don't um, It was funny because I would talk to train train people. Like t- there's, there's, my understanding is there's like foamers. There's people who like drool and love and follow and chase trains. And then, and then there's actual uh train people mm-hmm. who are pretty hardcore like it's a pretty hardcore culture of of, of train folks and i remember talking to this guy uh, i met a lot of really cool train people that helped me a lot both in research of the great northern uh alan miller this guy david sproul um people who worked for the great northern people who worked for the milwaukee road people who were in carnation when the trains came through um, and I remember, I don't remember which one it was. I, I don't think it was a local guy, but I was like, you know what, like, what do you think? Like, is this, I mean, a train technically is something that pulls something else, but in terms of like a rail car. And I remember this guy saying, well, you know, it's not like, it's not normal, but if it's got wheels and it's on rails, you got a railroad, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And so, um, so I remember showing, showing it, like showing initial plans and getting a vision for it. And then from there, we, uh, like the, the team was like insane and, and amazing. We, everything with the exception of probably the light switches and the lighting was custom made. So the wheels were, uh, were fabricated on a custom lathe started as just blocks of steel, like circular steel that were custom custom made um all the the each floor is steel and was welded um custom welded um we had pretty amazing team of people who have experience doing like super high-end welding for like yachts and um the the plans that from the architect were executed like one-to-one i mean we 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 did add some we did add um, functionality of a dumbwaiter so that we could transport small things from upstairs to downstairs, books, drinks, so on and so forth. Um, that that itself is almost like a mini tra- a train within a train. It's mm. kind of meta. It's it's a <laughs> it's a steel basket that moves uh, by by use of a conveyor belt, which is essentially like a sushi conveyor belt. <laughs> off of a very small motor that was that's used in uh, sushi restaurants in Japan. And so we sourced the motor 
and that system was the 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 mechan the mechanics for everything are electric because of the weight of the studio it wasn't really feasible to move things like mechanically using like seven simple machines but um the spirit is there so every interaction with the studio is a physical interaction that one of the big things is um in this in this sort of like architectural world of kinetic moving things a lot, a lot of times things are moved with a with a wheel um and in talking to my um in talking to my railroad network <laughs> my board of experts um they told me like if you really want it to be railroad like you need to try to get a hold of this thing it's called a it's general motors made it it's a gm emd electric motor diesel locomotive control panel and it's it looks like it's off the set of lost it, it's like this combination of instructions of of levers and keys that basically can operate any locomotive that's GMEMD. So um, I found one on eBay that had been used on a Burlington Northern train car. Um, they decommissioned it. They shipped a bunch of them to South Korea. They were used on railroads there. They were decommissioned. And then the, the owner, she put them up on eBay. I saw it. First, I was like, this looks amazing. I was like 10 minutes away from getting like a boat throttle right <laughs> you know or a wheel and um i sent it to my the fabrication team in twist they're like this is interesting i showed it to my train friend he's like this is the real deal if you can figure it out like so we pulled the trigger had it shipped from south korea uh guys came here picked it up took it back to twist took it all apart figured out like how we could work it and then they created the whole drive system for the actual train itself. And so, uh, and then the biggest thing was how do you get power to a train, to a, to a moving office on rails? And, um, <laughs> we had, there were a lot of schemes. There was like a big reel at the end that, that was outside the studio that would, that would expand and contract depending on where the car was. And then ultimately we got it down to, uh, there's a company called Hannay Reels, and they make custom commercial reels. So we had a custom commercial reel made for the size of our rail car that could sit like two thirds, about half half, under the rail car, so you wouldn't even see it. But a design problem came up where we needed one big enough for the reel, so part of it was going to bump up through the floor. So we had to solve for that, and so the solve was we created a bench which is cool because when you walk in, there's there's benches and cabooses. So um, you don't even really see it. It's kind of magical. But as the train car moves away from the house, the 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 reel um, pulls in the cord. And as you move away from the forest and it pulls it out. So we have full power to the, tr to the studio. And the locomotive control panel um, operates by insertion of this a reverser handle key, which is this big brass or 3D printed key that you insert in. Once you insert it, it unlocks all the other functions of the panel. So you can flip it right to go to the house, flip it left to go to the woods, and then there's an eight-notch lever throttle control. And as you push it, it clicks into the next notch. So the, the studio 
is engineered so at just a basic turn of a switch it'll it'll drive at the lowest speed or it has a responsive throttle control and when i say responsive the joke is like it's like the nerf gun of bullet trains like the low speed is like a, a mile an hour to two miles the high speed is probably like six or seven right um and then the next level of insanity is how do you stop the train how do you make sure the train car doesn't run into the house <laughs> <laughs> and and what happens if someone accidentally gets on there and doesn't know what they're doing and prevent it from crashing so we had to take some inspiration from regular railroading and they have this thing called positive train control where the engineer is running the train if they don't tap a pedal within a certain time period an alarm goes off gives them a second chance i believe to to interact to show that they're still operational functional <clears throat> and if that doesn't happen the train stops well those trains are takes a mile to stop right we don't have a mile we have 110 feet so we had to create a uh, like a positive train control stop at both ends where once the train car reaches a certain area within both stops, a sensor drops from the bottom of the car, makes contact with a metal bar, which tells the control to stop. So you can physically hold on to the key or brake and stop. The throttle kind of is the brake, or you can take your hands off and it'll auto stop. But the speed in which you're traveling to the stop determines how close <laughs> the car ends. And at the end of both stations, we have uh, custom steel wheel stops welded to the track. So if all else fails, it would stop there. And then the next layer on top of that is earthquake. So we have vertical steel stabilizer bars mounted on the inside of each wheel. So in the event of something, that extra pressure would um, prevent the car from tipping. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's a... It's a lot of, um, it's like over-engineering something for all the use cases, but, um, you know, with, with visitors and animals and so on and so forth, you have to, you have to think of all those things. So <laughs> I'd like to ask you to go back <laughs> to the first day you worked in your new office. Yeah. Well. What was that like? <clears throat> I was, you know, I think anybody who's doing something like this is kind of like borderline a, a little, a, a little, uh, a, a free thinker. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, mean, I don't think borderline is the, I think you just, you just take that full out. on. Yeah. Full on. I mean, I was, I was, I was in here to be fair before it was even done. I mean, I was in here the, the day, the day that, um, the day that the, the studio was sitting on the rails, just framed, no walls. Mm -hmm. Like I had a chair out here. Yeah, I'm talking and, about. I'm, I'm talking about the accumulation of all oh, yeah, of this yeah, planning, yeah. this work, and I even want to go so far as that your stuff was in here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that first day, and you rolled out, and one of the things I always ask in my show, and I we're going to just get to this right now, is you know, 
you know, are you a fan of coffee? And, and you're not. You're you're a Mountain Dew drinker. So you brought that first Mountain Dew out here. Oh. I mean, you were ready to go to work. And I don't know if oh, it was yeah. a Monday or Thursday. I don't care what day of the week it was, but everything was everything was done. Yeah. Like you've got it. Your desk down there's got all sorts of things on it. And yeah. the library that we're sitting in right now. What was that first day? Oh, you know, it was it was like I think it's kind of like the it's kind of like that moment, that moment when, when I, I felt like it was like the moment when I was done doing the, doing the Gretzky thing, you know, it's sort of like, it, it kind of, every single day leading up to that day, I was doing something towards it. And it was kind of like, I had to mentally switch over to the function was getting it done to the function of actually like being in it and, right. and, and working. And I, I think, I think the thing, the, the, the moment that it kind of like really sunk in, cause I pro probably that first day I actually had some work to do. So mm -hmm. it was like, you know, plugging things in and turning the music on and, um, was about lunchtime and the first instinct, cause it was at the end of the, where we are seeing today, we're at, we're at the end of the line, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we're, and we're, where we are now, we're we're looking we're literally looking over the valley to this row of these tall or trees that are all the same height and that that was where the the train ran so um like i i the thing that kind of got me was when it was lunchtime and my instinct was to just kind of walk out and step off the platform onto the the rail stool and then walk back to the house and i was like I'm going to drive this thing home. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I remember opening up the door, the bit, there's a big steel yellow door in the same color as the great Northern. And I had, and the door is like a big pivot. So it, it opens flush and I put the key in and I put the throttle to like notch three and it was, it was cold, but it was sunny. Uh -huh. um, and I just remember kind of, bringing it home you know and it was i don't even think that day i probably didn't get a lot of work done i was just like it was kind of it was the end of the construction but the beginning of enjoying it kind of like the house when we moved in we felt like we were on vacation mm -hmm. and i was like man like i feel like i've been so um you know it's like a mix of like you work hard to make your luck it was a lot of work. Um, it was a lot of traveling. It was a lot of unknowns to get to this point. But I was, I remember thinking how, ex like, how excited I was to think about, like, what are we going to make in here? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what am I going to do in here? But then what with, like, the collaborators that I work with or, mm -hmm. like, clients I haven't even imagined work, you know, like, what is going to happen in this thing? Because this, this isn't, like, a thing that came at at the middle or the beginning or even, like, early first quarter of the career. This is, like, we're at, like, we're getting ready to go out, I think, for, like, we're at halftime of the career, I hope, and we still have a whole other half to go. Right. And, what, and what's going to be made in this is going to be a direct result of all that the last three years of working to, you know, the, the place itself is sort of a little bit of a, 
a monument to what has ha- happened before sure. right and um and things will swap out and new things will come in and everything like that but i think for me it's like uh and i remember telling this to the um new york times reporter you know it's like i remember being one of those i remember like growing up and watching mr rogers and like you know the you start off and you're in this little miniature town and then mr rogers comes through and and um the first thing that happens in that show every day is like the trolley leaves reality and mm-hmm. it goes off to the land of make believe and for me like that's what this is like this is this is kind of like put, 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 put away from the house imagine things that haven't been imagined or create things or begin to like start that journey for that idea or project so that ultimately I can bring that back into and share with. And I, and I, and I know obviously like you don't need a, a a moving train in the woods to do that. That's been done for like the beginning of time, but, but, but what if you did? (laughs) And I think that's, what's next. You know, I think, uh, of a, a kind of an interesting that's thing that has happened because of this project is now there's new project there's new project opportunities actually um, combining my work in branding and storytelling with railroads so like right now I'm working on um, two railroad specific projects that literally came out because I started an Instagram to do research and connect with railroad people to make this a really meaningful, like a cool space for me to work, but a real meaningful and connected place to, to railroads. You know, like it's, it's really an homage to railroads in Washington mm-hmm. and incarnation and just the spirit of the railroad. And I think um, I'm most excited about like those projects and then bringing, you know, like having people like you come and, and see it because you know, there's a lot of craziness happening. I think it's really important for people to see something magical to remind them that it's you, no matter all the tech or the, all the shiny objects or things that sort of come in and out of our view that like, real things things that you can touch that come from imagination are as important right and and this train and coming out here is not about getting to the end of the line the quickest it's actually the opposite i think down downstairs when you first come in there's a there's an old railway sign that sits on the bench and it, it says slow right <laughs> and i think this is this is like the slow food of 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 that this is sort of like taking a step back Upstairs, you know, we're seeing things at a higher altitude with less right in our face. And I think that's creatively about like just sometimes I come up here and just listen to music. I may not even write anything or sometimes I come up here and I'll just write or jot down notes. Sometimes I'll bring my laptop up here Mm -hmm. to um, but the contrast between upstairs and downstairs is the contrast between like making and and dreaming. And I think um, that's what I'm most looking forward to. And the views kind of always changing depending on where you are. And most architecture is about this thing, this object sort of fixed in a landscape. 
And I think that's what makes this really interesting is that the landscape is fixed now, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the building is moving. Right. And um, I'm just, in, I'm, I'm intrigued to see um, what inspires the work in this, just, just as I was intrigued to see what it was like to live in a house connected to nature. Um, it introduces like this new vector that hasn't been in my life. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. So we're going to link to some things that this will be coming out after. Um, so the listeners can yeah. visualize what this is the audio format and this needs to be visually, I, you've done a great job, but it needs to be visually experienced also. So I'm going to ask you one last question. Yep. You ready? This is, yep. this is, I want you, you know, and I ask this question of almost every guest. It's very important. Cake or pie and why? Oh, yeah. Um, I've always been a pie guy. Okay. I think uh um growing up uh okay, so growing up like formally lemon meringue pie, always a winner. Um high school like high school hostess fruit pie. So Probably. I'm gonna interrupt you. My high school lunch was a hostess fruit pie, a Charleston chew candy bar, and oh. a can of Coke. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean <laughs> that was my every day. I had a, I had, I was kind of like a, and I don't know if any, I don't think anybody that I played lacrosse with would. I mean, they'd probably remember, but I would like take a hostess cherry pie before every lacrosse game. Okay, just to. You know, and you'd open it and you weren't sure, like, was this made like a hundred years ago? Like right. when you turned it. Did it really matter? No, no. <laughs> and, uh, but then, uh, the thing that blew me away was when they did the hostess pudding pies mm-hmm. for a short time. And then they went out, they, yeah. the, and the ones that were at like Safeway, the, the non hostess brand were, they were trash. Um, and then I got into, um, I got like, I could do like a good rhubarb pie i had uh, i've had to be fair i've had the 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 um what's the the twin peaks cherry pie mm-hmm. mm, i mean i don't know the actually the remlinger farms cherry pies here are, are very good okay. um in town i i will take a rhubarb pie i could do that but probably like my favorite would be like peanut butter ice cream pie with like yeah like that's i but uh <laughs> I will say though, like at our house, um, we will, uh, our kids will do cake most of the time and my wife will make an amazing carrot cake and a, uh, coconut cake. And so I'm not, I'm not like, you're not anti-cake, but you're pro pie. Yeah, I'm pro. (laughs) And you know, the funny thing is whenever I explain something to people about like the mix of things, I will always I always set it in the frame of a pie, like a pie chart. I would never say like, oh, well, like this many pieces of cake or like if you were to interview like five or six designers and say like, tell me some things that Lou would say. He'd say, well, this this project, like 40% of the pie is X. So I think it's just part of... It's part of who you are. Yeah, it's part of 
but I, I do have a soft spot for, um, for, uh, those scenes from Seinfeld for the Entmans, like end of the aisle, the cakes, you know, and like a good, like a good cake is, is a good, you know, okay. it's a good cake. So, but, but pie is the answer. <laughs> well, Lou, thank you. This was, um, unique for me. <laughs> uh, and I don't know that we've done it justice without imagery. So we're going to have to make sure that, the show notes have imagery for the audience and we'll link to places where they can find out more about you. Yep. And I will leave with this. I'm really curious what you're going to do next. Yeah. And we'll come back for that. one. <laughs> yeah. 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 We have, we have some, <laughs> we have some plans. I can't uh, imagine well, that you don't. <laughs> I, will, I will end with, um, last week I got a call from our, the guy, one of the guy, the lead guy that we worked with on this. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, one of the, one of the concerns we had when we finished this was what if someone builds something, you know, on the next spot. So we, after six years of like back and forth, we were able to secure the land that sort of sits behind the railroad track. And, and last week, uh, I was, the guy called me and we were talking and he's like, well, you know, I've been thinking about it and like, it wouldn't be that hard to, continue the railway i was gonna say it but i was afraid <laughs> to i was gonna ask oh and, and uh so i you know you know you never you never you never know but um <laughs> and he's like you know we could also we could we could we could run it pretty far and then we could also put a like a turntable in there and then you could turn it and head head you know like so i don't know let's um you know, let's, stay tuned. Let's let it. Let's, let's let it go. But, oh yeah. my god! <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today. And I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.